Your move, creep. Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. The only thing I know how to do. It's a good-looking boy. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate. That's right, Lord. Welcome to Earth. You crossed the line. Yeah, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Hello, everybody. We are back. This is Retrograde Podcast, the podcast where we talk about older movies. We talk about how they were made, how they were received, and whether or not they hold up. I am Austin. And I'm George. All right, guys. So we've already talked about the story to Star Wars. Just having rewatched the film and what we thought about the story beats and kind of our feelings. And the conversation kind of went also into how we feel about the saga in general. And we covered a lot of different things uh, from... The actual story, to the future films, to the TV shows, to everything moving forward, to also the fan base, which this past week has, there's been some controversy concerning the fandom's reaction to Moses Ingram's character in the new Obi-Wan Kenobi show. Yeah. If you haven't listened to it, go check it out. Um, You might feel the same way we do. But ultimately, Austin and I agree that this stuff is just needlessly awful and cruel. Right. Like we're not yeah. saying that you have to like this character or or we, we don't we're not saying that you have to like this character. I mean, like you can like whatever you like. But yeah. You, the people that sent her all those awful messages. Totally uncalled for. And over the over the weekend, I think she posted reposted some of the things that people sent to her, some of the DMs that were sent to her. And then it had a thing to say at the end of it. Maybe I'll throw that in here. There's nothing anybody can do to stop this hate. And so I question what my purpose is and even being here in front of you saying that this is happening. I don't really know. I don't really know. Um, but I think the thing that bothers me is that like sort of this feeling that I've had inside of myself, which no one has told me, but this feeling of like, I just got to shut up and take it. You know, I just kind of got to go and bury it. Um, and I'm not built like that. So <laughs> I really just wanted to come on, I think, and say thank you to the people who show up for me in the comments and the places that I'm not going to put myself. And um, to the rest of y'all, Y'all weird. <laughs> I, I, I hate that that happens to her. And I have been watching the show. And I do like her character. I think, she, I think she's doing a good job. I think she's killing it. And for someone to be so excited to be in Star Wars and then just to have that happen to them is just why. Ugh. Yeah, and it definitely sucks. And look, and Austin, I acknowledge that. People are very passionate about this. We're passionate about this stuff. <laughs> but... There's a difference between you don't lo- don't lose your humanity and empathy for real people. You know what I mean? Like you and I dislike the rise of Skywalker very much so. But I think you dislike it more than me. But oh, I, I genuinely do not like that movie. I don't plan I, on watching it. I think it's the worst Star Wars movie. Oh, 100 uh, like, percent. With the prequels combined and everything. But yeah. there's still stuff that I like about the movie. You know, there's there's still like I can get enjoyment out of it. I just hate that. <laughs> I can see how, like, all the corporate, I think you called it the mittens of Mickey. Mm -hmm. I can can see all the corporate decisions 
made to that movie because of fans being so irrationally upset. Mm-hmm. It brings me down. So it, it totally does. <laughs> and I, I go a step further than you. I don't like much about that movie. Um, that being said, I've never sent anyone any death threats because a lot of people think that I'm childish and kind of silly and goofy. And that all of that is true. Like Austin can attest that I am this person oh, yeah. off the podcast. Give me too. so many headaches. <laughs> but I have... I have never sent anyone a genuine threat, death threat. I've said to people, I'm going to murder you, but to, only to my close friends, you know, but, it's, <laughs> but, but this stuff is hateful. And, you know, some people are saying it's not racist, but when you have people sending, sending her the N word on DMs feels kind of racist. I'm just saying. And yeah, it's, and, it's like, why are you, why are you pretending that racism doesn't exist? Yeah. And I'll, I'll say this, I, this is not just a star Wars an exclusive Star Wars problem. This is a problem that has very much been skyrocketed by the internet because I know The Last of Us Part Two, the actress for uh, one of the characters also got a lot of hate because the story revolved around her and she had a big in- impact on the story and fans didn't like it. I remember some uh, Overwatch voice actors, like they, they were harassed too because like their, some people felt that their character was too strong so they sent death threats and hate mail to the voice actor of a video game character. And I'll tell you this, none of those spineless bitches would say that in front of their faces. None of them. Even if they would, why? Just, just don't play the game. Just don't, don't play the know, game. You, you, and you could actively disapprove of it publicly. Like that's not an issue, but to send these people, those death threats. And I'll still maintain, I don't think anyone would actually do it in public. Because because everyone's a big shot behind a keyboard and that monitor. But when it comes face to face, everyone gets really everyone gets real limptic. Ooh, they know. Oh, I, I'm your biggest fan. I love you. And then they get, get back. Get, they get behind the keyboard. Fucking yeah. W. <laughs> oh, my God. I, but it, it's it's really hard to, to talk. I guess it's not really hard to talk about. It's just an unfortunate thing that happens that is part of a thing that I really love. Like mm-hmm. I really love star Wars and, um, and look, and we're not the, the bulk of our conversation is going to be around this, but we just wanted no. to address it because it literally just happened this week and it's yeah. going to keep happening. Cause the show still has like four or five episodes, I believe every week. And I don't think that racism has been properly addressed. Like they're trying to, I think star Wars, the star Wars Twitter called it out saying like, don't be racist. Mm-hmm. You know, we support Moses Ingram don't be racist, but is that going to stop people from being racist? And I love their response that said, like, there are 35 million races in the Star Wars saga. Don't be racist. And I'm like, yeah, that is so fucking true that I never even thought about it. Like, there are so many different type of races in Star Wars <laughs> and you're you're nitpicking about one black chick. Like, that is the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard. That is pathetically dumb. And and I don't know. I just thought we had to address it real quick just to talk about yeah. it um, because this is the reality of Star Wars. It's mm-hmm. full of incredible, great things. And and I might I personally might sound a bit cynical about it. And it's, you know, and it's kind of more of a reflection of how I feel about the new films and the industry as a whole. But I'm always going to love the original. I'm always going to love the films, except Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. But like everything else I'm, I'm cool with. <laughs> um, yeah. varying degrees but yeah this is just something that's and it's going to keep happening until it actually stops we just got to keep talking about it 
it's bad to be racist, but I think it's also bad to just ignore it and pretend like it's not happening. Mm-hmm. So, but again, that's, that's we just wanted to talk about that real quick. In the end of the day, we are here to talk about the making of the original 1977 Star Wars: A New Hope. What's so great about some of the fans is how detailed they are and how mm-hmm. relentless they are at organizing all of these things. Because, mm-hmm. man, Wikipedia. <laughs> helps so much <laughs> in this part of the episode because this is an old movie that very popular one of the most popular movies ever made so naturally there's a lot of stuff about the behind the scenes there's a lot of stuff about the guy behind everything george mm-hmm. lucas and uh, it's it was so fun like reading it and it was kind of inspiring too because mm-hmm. this dude was just a guy who was mad at how movies were being made and wanted to make his own movies and all of his friends were like yeah, let's you do it, George. And all of his friends are like became really prolific filmmakers, you know, oh, editors, yeah. writers. Like these guys made movies that we that are getting sequels and remakes to today. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? <laughs> it was such an influential time and it was a close knit mm-hmm. group of friends. Like it wasn't just like oh, this one filmmaker is on that side of the planet and this other guy's on the other side. It's like they were yeah. collaborators and they helped each they other. Collaborators. They they helped each other. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't about like, okay, well, this, this corporation owns this IP, so they're going to make it and they're competing against this other corporation who has part of the IP. It wasn't like that. It was just these guys who were like, I'm going to help my friend make the best movie he can, even though I kind of think it's weird. Oh, there's a lot of that. And some of the people behind us, I mean, Steven Spielberg, obviously, Brian De Palma, Francis Ford Coppola, like, they really tried, they really helped George. And, you know, in their own different ways. But it is kind of like this movie in itself, like the making of the movie is kind of like the hero's journey. (laughs) It is. Yeah. I I just love, love that about it. And I love seeing all the, the drafts and how things or change and change and change. And then when he went back to do the prequels, he kind of took names here and there and concepts from here. Oh, oh it's so my God, yes. Interesting. So interesting. So for, so for people who don't know, just there's a, there's a book called The Hero with a Thousand Faces, and it talks about the hero's journey. And it's kind of like this circular kind of thing, diagram, and it kind of explains what the main character is supposed to go to and at what time. Do you know what I mean? Like... They get the quest, they reject the quest, but they are pushed into it. And then they go into a different aspect of the world, uh, like they're learning about themselves, right? And if you know about the hero's journey, you can apply it to a lot of blockbusters, especially Star Wars. Like this like movie. All of the major fandoms, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter. The Matrix. Uh, what's the the Katniss Ever- Everdeen? Oh, the Hunger Games. It's all the same shit. Like at its core, it's all the same. But anyway... When I went into the research of this movie, I, I was just, it felt like, it felt like I was, um, I was kind of rediscovering my appreciation for cinema. Does that make sense? No, no, it, it does, because I felt the exact same way. Like, you read about the story that the, that these people were going through. In fact, sometimes the story of the making of the film is better than the actual film because it makes i think for us especially because you realize what they went through to make Mm -hmm. this stuff and all the hurdles and it's like wow that's insane uh i felt that way about apocalypse now and with star wars because you hear about lucas and kind of the way he approached it and the drafts and 
the studios saying no, and it's like, oh my god, like studios plural studios no. exactly. It's, oh man, they talk about rejection. This dude, oh yeah, oh man, I'm this dude got this dude must have been hurt, but it you know, yeah. you know, in a weird way, it's I'm glad that it did happen because we <laughs> we got what we got. So let's get into it. Let's get into the very beginning. Now, of course, we got to start with George Lucas. Mm-hmm. George Lucas was not a fan of science fiction. Can you believe that? <laughs> he wasn't even interested in film at all. He, he, what he liked was cars and photography. And he'd go to the movies occasionally. And he'd watch this, this uh, serial called Flash Gordon. Um, and he, he liked it, you know, but he wasn't like collecting sci-fi figures or, or any of that. And his dad was like, why are you wasting time with your friends? You should go get a real job and stuff, which is is very interesting because it's very similar to a line that Uncle Owen has yeah. in, in A New Hope. <laughs> but I was going into Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. You can waste time with your friends when your chores are done. Now, come on, get to it. Eventually, he was enrolled in a cinema class on accident. He thought it was a photography class, but it's a cinematography class. And he's like, okay. I, I'm getting into this, but narrative film, I don't care for it. I want to do documentaries because mm-hmm. that's pure. He was a big camera guy. Um, he would go on to study at USC, University of Southern California. And USC had one of the country's only like dedicated film programs. Before it was cool. Before it was cool. Before everybody had it and before <laughs> before we went to U- UCI. Did you try to go to USC? I did. Dude, I did too. And I think it's because of freaking George Lucas. I think so too, man. They got to me. <laughs> but he would make friends with Randall Kleiser, who would go on to direct Grease. Grease. John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John. Uh, Walter Murch, who would go on to edit The Godfather Part 2, one of the greatest movies ever made. <laughs> and he'd also become friends with this guy, John Milius, who would be the writer of Apocalypse Now. It's Greece, The Godfather, Apocalypse Now. They're all just hanging out, you know? Um, all of, and they all had a contempt for the studio system and Hollywood in general. They wanted to, they wanted to be artists, you know what I mean? And he made a short film called Electronic Labyrinth, THX 1138 4EB. That was the whole name of the short film. <laughs> And in 1967, it was about a guy who was kind of escaping this computerized community in a dystopian future, right? And then he, it's about escaping conformity, basically. And it won an award. And another important filmmaker saw this movie. Can you guess what his name was? Francis Ford? No, Steven Spielberg. Oh! (laughs) (laughs) But we'll get to Francis Ford Coppola because after after this, he won this award and everything, he got a Warner Brothers scholarship from a competition. I couldn't find out if it was this film exactly that won the competition, but he won a competition. The the prize was, all right, you get to go on and observe the making of a motion picture, kind of like a work, working internship. And he ended up working on this film called Finian's Rainbow, which was like a musical comedy with Fred Astaire and Petula Clark. But perhaps most importantly, it was directed by Francis Ford Coppola, (laughs) the director of The Godfather. And it's funny, he talks about meeting Coppola 
and they're they're two very different people. Like Coppola's more of the writer director. He calls him flamboyant, and George Lucas is all about cameras. And he's like, you know what, Francis Ford Coppola, I think you're boring. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he actually said that to the guy, but he says that he said that. He says that he said that. But Lucas says a lot of things. Oh, um, oh ooh, we will get into that later. <laughs> um, so he's like. They, they both have like these different strengths and they both love cinema at the end of the day and became friends because they both had a skill that the other guy didn't have. So they kind of like it's like a yin, yin and yang kind of thing. Um, and they learned from each other and they eventually they were like, you know what? We're going to stick it to Hollywood. We're going to make up our own studio. We're going to call it American Zoetrope. And American Zoetrope would go on to produce George Lucas's first film, a feature-length version of THX 1138. Whereas this time, it kind of feels... Have you ever read The Giver? I never I never have. I've, I've seen uh, it uh, like when, in like middle school and stuff. It was like one of those books that was always there, but I never mm-hmm. read it. Yeah, it, it kind of has a similar concept where like you're in this dystopian future where everyone's trying to control you or like the government's trying to control you. There's like these robot cop things and everybody has to take a pill to like suppress their emotions and sex is illegal. (laughs) (laughs) So naturally, you know, our heroes try to escape this world, you know, and it was a movie that was received very well critically, but commercially, no one cared. It wasn't like a big deal because it was so like dystopian and depressing so lucas was like man i guess i gotta make something more hopeful next time and eventually he would go on to leave american zoetrope this is where it gets kind of interesting because i've also heard that lucas and coppola might have had some friction because lucas was very much into politics he was he wanted to make a movie about the vietnam war mm-hmm. and the, the group was like all right well we'll try to adapt Heart of Darkness, which is a book from the 1900s, like early 1900s, and they tried to like adapt it as a challenge because one of their teachers said, no one can ever make this movie. So uh, John Milius was like, I bet I can make this movie. And they adapted Heart of Darkness into and set it into the Vietnam War. And does that movie sound familiar? It should because it's Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. And George was supposed to direct the movie. But obviously that didn't happen. And Coppola directed it in 79 because George was so busy with with other other things like uh, Star Wars and American Graffiti. But I don't know how much of that is true and how much of that is. Well, I know that Lucas was supposed to direct it, but I don't know if they had like a falling out because of that. But Coppola would end up producing George Lucas's next movie, which was American Graffiti. Have you seen American Graffiti, George? I haven't. You haven't? People have said I gotta watch it, and I I, I want to, but I've never seen it. It's really sweet. Uh, it reminds me a lot of Richard Linklater. Like, it's not super plot-heavy. It's just kind of about these kids hanging out right before they have to leave for college. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's told through, like, a series of vignettes, and it's... I don't know. It's, I like it. I like movies that don't have a lot of plot it's just like these people hanging out and and that sound doesn't sound like a movie to some people i know that's definitely not everybody's vibe but 
boy, was it the vibe in 1970. Oh, the, the movie was a huge hit. Huge hit. It was funded by Coppola, his boy, his homie, his friend, his brother in arms for 700, about 770,000. And it made 50 million at the box office. That's like 50 times the investment. That's what I was going to say. Like 50 times. Like that movie's insane. The success of that movie. And like if it came out today, wouldn't would not hit those same numbers. I don't think. No, it it just captured something like it was. It's kind of like a retro kind of thing. And it, you had like Ron Howard, who was coming off of Happy Days in the movie. You know, it's just like and it's a. I think it's a good movie. You know, Harrison Ford's in it. Mm-hmm. be warned it isn't like plot heavy it's just these kids hanging out there's a drag race because lucas was into cars um it's kind of about car culture a little bit but it's, it's just kids hanging out and it's i don't know it's a good time american graffiti baby what's that it's a movie can you dig it, can you dig it? go back in time where were you in 62 is that you in that beautiful car jeez what a waste of machinery one, two, three o'clock, four o'clock, rock. Five, six, While this is all happening, George wants to make this space opera movie. He wants to make a new epic, something that kids could, could get behind. And it's not the space movie you're thinking of. It wasn't Star Wars. It was a modern adaptation of Flash Gordon. Mm-hmm. Um, Flash, ah, like that, that Flash Gordon. Have you ever uh, seen Flash Gordon? I've never seen Flash I, Gordon. I've never have either. <laughs> I, will, I just know the Queen music. Mm-hmm. And I know Emperor Ming is the bad guy. Uh, <laughs> and Flash Gordon, I think, is a hero. Uh, and it has the scroll, like the, the text on the screen about like, hey, here's what's happening to Flash Gordon right before the story. Um, and he he wanted to go back and like tell that movie, but from a modern perspective. He wanted to make Flash Gordon good. That was the key thing, that he wanted to make something that looked good. Because at Mm -hmm. the time, science fiction had a really bad image because everything just looked cheap. Or it was so Mm -hmm. weird and so cheap looking. Very cheap looking. A lot of people were skeptical about this. Like A lot of the studios were like, hey, this is a great vision. We don't know if you can actually back it up because... Most of the stuff, the sci-fi stuff that's coming out looks kind of shitty. And he yeah. and George was like, because he was very technically driven, mm-hmm. he was like, I want to make this look legit. That's kind of like what he wanted to do with Flash Gordon. But, you know. Yes, he actually met with the rights holders and they were like, all right, we're going to take 80 percent of the gross and we don't want you to direct it. We want Federico Fellini to direct this movie. <laughs> Wait, who's Federico Fellini? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, eight and a half. Yeah. Very oh. famous French director, like a super arts, artsy film director. Like if you said you didn't know who Fellini was to a bunch of film snobs, you would be laughed out of the room. That's why you got to take that part out of the episode. Because I was like, <laughs> no, nah, man, no, nah, man. We're not trying to deceive the people. We were, deceive we the be- people. <laughs> I was like, oh, wait, no, I no, But see, it, it, you know how immediately I took that back. So I was like, oh, shit, yeah. my, my rap's going to take a hit. But the thing is, Fellini directing Flash Gordon is makes dumb. no sense. It makes no sense. Because that guy's like an artist, artsy, like French guy. Like, why would he go and do... <laughs> think about it this way. To, 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 to people who aren't familiar with Fellini, it's like Martin Scorsese directing a Marvel film. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> yep. 
Yes, that's exactly it. Like, imagine, imagine Martin Scorsese coming out to do like She-Hulk or (laughs) (laughs) exactly Guardians of the Galaxy three. I I don't know. It's just yeah, it's not going to happen. So Lucas was like, y'all could have just said no, (laughs) but he's depressed. And Francis Ford Coppola is like, man, he he was really sad about it. He was depressed, but you know what he did? He said to himself, "Well, I'll have to invent my own." Now, I don't know if he actually said that. These are just, you know, old guys talking about their friends. And these, like, what, 50 years have passed between this? Maybe but- he didn't physically actually say that. But, I mean, he definitely walked in with that mentality of, like, I'm going to do my own Flash Gordon. Fuck you. Which is so, so inspiring. So yes. cool. Like, imagine. Imagine not being allowed to do the, the Marvel movie. And you're like, well... I'll get I'll make up my own superhero. And then that movie is become Star Wars. You know what I mean? <laughs> Man, and and what's so great about it is because of the success of Star Wars, like you know. I mean, we're gonna get to this point, but you know everybody regretted. Saying no. It's kinda it sounds almost like the guy who got rejected mm-hmm. to prom by every girl. And then he <laughs> like just He's he goes in like the Ferrari and stuff and everyone's just watching, you know, and it's like, oh, that's what it's like. <laughs> so he goes and writes this little thing, this new sci- science fiction opera, space opera, and he's pitching it to people. He's pitching it to United Artists who he had to deal with. He was trying to get people to uh, distribute American graffiti. Mm-hmm. So this is before the huge success that it was. Um, And nobody wanted it. Nobody wanted it. Nobody wanted it. And then he eventually goes to Alan Ladd Jr., head of 20th Century Fox. And Alan reads the thing and is like, you know what? I don't really get it, but I really like American graffiti. And I I believe in you, George. Well, that's the the thing. Right before then, he went to like Universal Pictures. He went to United Artists. He went to Universal Pictures. He got a meeting at Paramount because of... Uh, Francis Ford Coppola. Francis was like, hey, let, let me let me connect you with some people at, at my little section, my little division at Paramount Pictures. Let's see if we can make this film. Mm. And everyone passed on the film because they were like, cool concept. Uh, we don't know if you could do it. They even went to Walt Disney production <laughs> and they got turned down. And, and now I this makes the, the Disney purchase of Star Wars even better. That happened like in 2011, I believe, right? 2010, 2011. Uh, when disney later. bought star wars yeah and i'm like you know what it, this is what uh they they went to walt disney productions and lucas explained in 1977 that the film is not about the future or wait hold on it wasn't 77 because oh, yeah, that was he, when the movie came out yeah uh oh shoot but, like a lot of people agreed like lucas was talented but they were like why don't you just stick with stuff like american graffiti you know, and they're like, we don't know if you're capable of it. And it might just look shitty. And it makes it so much better that Walt Disney had to pay billions of dollars to buy Star Wars Four from George Lucas. Dollars. The dude that they rejected. You know what? Like, if I was George Lucas, I'd be like, you want this? Fucking pay me my money, bitch. Like, <laughs> yeah, you could have had this. You could have had all of this. You could <laughs> and, and you know what? I probably did it better than you. It felt really satisfying that the man had to pay the other weird man a lot of money to <laughs> obtain his weird little thing that he that they had originally rejected. But anyway, anyway, <laughs> Alan Land Jr. He sees that, oh, people want 
or I believe in you. You can go ahead and do this thing. And then American Graffiti comes out. And then they're like, oh, well, George Lucas is like a millionaire now. Uh, he's probably going to ask for more money. And instead of asking for more money, he's like, I want the rights. This is the sequels, and I want all the merchandising rights. And they're like, Psh, this movie's going to be garbage anyway. Go ahead, take it. I always yeah, think he, of that. I always think of that scene <laughs> in Pulp Fiction. Like, shit, that's all you had to say. <laughs> uh, so he, 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 I think in an interview with like Robert Redford and stuff, and the guy interviewing him is the guy who's in the uh, Leonard Malton. I think his name is. He's the guy in the VHS. Like, if you have the VHS, like ninety-five VHS, there's an interview with George Lucas with this guy Leonard Leonard Malton. Yeah, I remember. I always skipped them as a kid because I thought they were boring. Dude, I remember I skipped them as a kid, too, after like the first few times. But I was looking back on them like, oh, my God, I've seen this before. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And to see him at AFI or it wasn't AFI, it was the Sundance Sundance Film Festival. And he's like talking to the same guy and talking about how Alna Jr. had 50 percent or Warner Brothers or sorry, not Warner Brothers. 20th Century Fox. You know, the story of that was when I was talking to Laddie, Ladd Jr., you know, on, on the first Star Wars, we were sitting in his office and I said, and the deal was, you know, I got my $125,000 and I said, you know, now we're splitting the profits, net profits. Nobody ever, ever, ever made money on net profits. No. <laughs> ever. You just can't because they just stack the deck against you. And I said, but I had 50% of the net profits because I was go- my company was going off, we were making the movie. And I said, you know, I know what I'm doing for my 50%. You know, I put my heart and soul in this. My whole career is at stake. I've got to actually go out and make the movie. i got all this stuff that I have to do for my 50%. What are you doing for your 50%? They <laughs> said, well, I provide the money. I said, you don't provide the money. I said, you go to a bank with a letter of credit, and they supply the money. So you're not doing anything, and you get 50% of the movie. <laughs> So then I came back for Empire Strikes Back. I went into Laddie and I said, uh, well, here's the deal. And um, I'm gonna finance the film this time. I said, well, okay. And he looked at it and he said, well, wait a minute. You're getting 100% of the profits. I said, yeah, I'm financing it. Remember that 50% that you had that you were using? Well, I'm doing that now. So you don't get that 50% and I get my own 50%. So now I got 100%. I'll give you a little distribution agreement on the side here. <laughs> oh, I love that. He like owned his own movie, which nobody ever really does. And they probably never will. Yeah. <laughs> because of Star Wars. Because of Star Wars. Because instead of, you know, instead of somebody going like, oh, I didn't get to do Star Wars. I'll make my own Star Wars. No, that doesn't happen anymore. Mm-mm. Now you, you are forced to do the Star Wars that Disney wants you to make. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Which sucks, but you know, whatever. We'll get we'll get into that later. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so just what was the Star Wars that was being shopped around? Let me tell you. Let me tell you what. It was not the Star Wars that people saw in '77. Oh no. Oh no. Like I said, I got a lot a lot of thanks to give to to the Wikipedia because I was able to find a lot of synopses and actually some of the drafts like the first four drafts of Star Wars. And it was not always called Star Wars. Even though he copyrighted it as Star Wars, the Star Wars, it 
was called several different things. Um, the earliest iteration was called the Journal of Wills, part one. And Wills is spelled W-H-I-L-L-S. And the outline begins as, This is the story of Mace Windy, a revered Jedi Bendu of Ufuchi, as related to us by C.J. Thorpe, Padawan learner to the famed Jedi. Thorpe, called either C.J. or C2 as it switches back and forth in the document, actually stands for Chewie Toothorpe of Kissel. And his father is Han Dardle, chief pilot of the renowned galactic cruiser Tarnak. And in the story, like the, the Mace Windy guy, he's like a beloved leader and the emperor is like really jealous of him. And he's like, well, that guy's going to become he's a threat to me and I don't like him. So I'm going to banish him. It sounds a lot like Dune. Also, the names are like, I recognize these names, but it's all wrong. <laughs> That's that's the weird thing about this is hearing about those early drafts. It's like, wait, Mace Windy? <laughs> what? Oh, uh, Anakin Starkiller? Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll get to and This is before Anakin Starkiller. Oh, yeah. Anakin Starkiller appears in the Star Wars synopsis. And in the Star Wars synopsis, the Star Wars story synopsis, it borrows heavily from Akira Kurosawa's The Hidden Fortress. Where you have a princess in enemy territory and a general that has to help escort her out of enemy territory to friendly territory and there are these two bureaucrats who don't know anything that kind of help them get the princess to the safe location and in the kurosawa version it's like two peasants who are who are kind of dumb and like comic relief and they're kind of helping the general and princess escape into the friendly territory there's like a duel between the two samurais because it's set in like feudal japan the there's a civil war going on between two different japanese clans it's cool it's definitely a, a slower movie but it's it's great because you can see so many parallels between star wars and the hidden fortress movie and then we have the star wars rough draft which was completed in 1974 and this was the first one to have an actual crawl, which I have in its entirety right before me, which I want you to, to picture this, to picture in the, being in the theaters and seeing the title, The Star Wars, and you're hearing the music, and this is what you have to read. Until the recent Great Rebellion, the Jedi Bendu were the most fierce feared warriors in the universe. For 100,000 years, generations of Jedi perfected their art as the personal bodyguards of the Emperor. They were the chief architects of the invincible Imperial Space Force, which expanded the empire across the galaxy from the celestial equator to the farthest reaches of the Great Rift. Now, these legendary warriors are all but extinct. One by one, they have been hunted down and destroyed as enemies of the new empire by a ferocious and sinister rival sect, the Knights of Sith. Yeah, that's what? a bunch of hogwash. <laughs> <laughs> and I like Star uh, Wars, don't get it wrong, but that sounds fucking insane. It sounds very, I'm sorry, but it sounds kind of pretentious. All right, uh, I, that's not really the word I would I would use, I would think it's kind of 
uh, needlessly complicated because you have it's, the empire and then you have the new empire. You know what I mean? It's like, wait a minute, the, the old empire and the new empire. I feel like as you're, you know, listening to the story, listening to the characters talk, you kind of have to like correct, like, okay, which empire are they talking about? The good one or the bad one? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of like new vocabulary words in there. Jedi, Bendu, Sith, uh, the Great Rift. Like what is what is all of this? Imperial Space Force? Uh, you know, it's whatever. Uh, in this version, the Jedi Bendu were like really good laser swordsmen. And laser is spelled with a Z and it's all one word. <laughs> and there's a, a Jedi whose name is Kane Starkiller. He's got two boys, Deke and Anakin. And they're on the fourth moon of Utapau. And suddenly they're attacked by a Sith. And Deke is killed. And then they return to their home planet of Aquili and meet Kane's old Jedi friend, General Luke Skywalker. And Kane is like, hey, I'm mostly cyborg these days. Can you train Anakin to be a Jedi? And Luke's like, all right. And then they uncover a plot by a Darth Vader and the Emperor. And... Oh, I, did you see what the emperor's name used to be? No. The emperor's name was Cos de Shit. Oh, oh goodness, <laughs> no. Cos de Shit. I don't know how to pronounce it, but apparently Lucas didn't really care how people pronounced names. He just like, it's all regional, just say whatever. Uh, so C-O-S-D-A-S-H-I-T. Cos de Shit. It sounds way too close like shit. It's now... Caused the shit. Well, he's the bad guy. He causes the shit to happen, right? <laughs> I, oh, God. I mean, I, I guess, but... I, I love that. It's so funny to me. Anyway, their plan is to take over the Aquilean royalty so that they can use them as a puppet ruler of Aquilae, which is an independent system, so that they can access the planet's advanced biology technology, particularly their cloning. And our heroes, Luke... Kane and Anakin, they meet up with uh, Princess Leia and her siblings, Biggs and Windy. Uh, so they're like the royal children or whatever. And then they meet up with this Irelian who's an alien. He's a green dude whose name is Han Solo. <laughs> uh, sound familiar? <laughs> and they have these two droids and they all escape, but they crash land in like a pursuit on the planet Yavin. And then they meet a bunch of these creatures called Wookiees. And one of them is Chewbacca. And they also meet some anthropologists called uh, Owen and Beru. And then Leia is captured. And then Anakin has to go save her. And he has to like confront this guy, Valorum. But uh, Darth Vader orders Valorum to execute Anakin. But Valorum can't do it. So he defects against them and helps them all escape. And they destroy the Imperial Space Station. And then Anakin is, is made the Lord Protector of Aquilae. And you know what's crazy? The most fascinating thing about this is that they actually turned this into a comic book series. Oh, what? Yes. Uh, there's a comic book series that ran in 2013 to 2014, released by Dark Horse, Co Dark Horse Comics, called The Star Wars. And you can read all of this in in a comic book form like you can actually see emperor cost the shit <laughs> and he looks a lot like emperor ming from flash gordon uh it's it's cool because it's like i i see this i recognize this but it's just a little bit different 
You know what I mean? Yeah. That is actually a really cool concept. Like, this is the original, original Star Wars. Yeah. Wow. It's a lot of characters and a lot of expecting you to understand certain things. And it's really ambitious. And it's like, it sounds really expensive to do. Mm-hmm. By the way, do you mention, Do you know how I never mentioned the Force? Oh, because that wasn't there for a while, right? That wasn't in there. No, it wasn't in there at all. And even when he did have an idea for the Force, he was trying to figure out what it was. <laughs> like, he was like, oh, maybe I should give him powers. I'll call it the mm-hmm. Force. What does the Force yeah. do? Mm-hmm. Mm. Which actually <laughs> checks out with, with what we've seen in the movies. Because like we mentioned in the first part, every movie just adds more Force powers. Just, just Exactly. Every movie does. He had he had no idea what it was specifically. And then I guess he just wrote, well, you know, it it just, you know, it does stuff. So this rough draft uh, of the Star Wars becomes the Star Wars first draft. And the first draft, mostly the same. Uh, just the names are all different. Like he just changes the names. So the first draft becomes the second draft in probably my favorite title of Star Wars. Adventures of the Starkiller, as taken from the Journal of Wills, Saga 1, the Star Wars. And there's a crawl. There's a crawl, which I will read for you. And again, I want you to use your imagination. I want you to hear those Star Wars trumpets as I read this. The Republic Galactica is dead. Ruthless traitor barons, driven by greed and the lust for power, have replaced enlightenment with oppression and rule by the people with the First Galactic Empire. Until the tragic Holy Rebellion of 06, the respected Jedi Bendu of Ashla were the most powerful warriors in the universe. For a hundred thousand years, generations of Jedi Bendu knights learned the ways of the mysterious Force of Others and acted as the guardians of peace and justice in the Republic. Now these legendary words are all but extinct. One by one, they've been hunted down and destroyed by a ferocious rival sect of mercenary warriors, the Black Knights of the Sith. It is a period of civil wars. You thought I was done? No, there's more. It is a period of civil wars. The Empire is crumbling into lawless barbarism throughout the million worlds of the galaxy. From the celestial equator to the farthest reaches of the Great Rift, 70 small solar systems have united in a common war against the tyranny of the Empire. Under the command of a mighty Jedi warrior known as the Star Killer, the Rebel Alliance has won a crushing victory over the deadly Imperial Star Fleet. The Empire knows that one more such defeat will bring a thousand more solar systems into the Rebellion, and the Imperial control of the Outlands could be lost forever. And now I'm done. That's that was Jesus the that was the original. Christ. Crawl. <laughs> uh, Jesus <yeah>. Christ! Jesus! <laughs> and what's funny is you can see you can see the entirety of the first six Star Wars movies in this. Yes, right. Like you can kind of see it all. Um, so when people say. Or when George Lucas might say that he had actually written all of them beforehand. I think this is what he's talking about. Like he had it vaguely formed in his head enough to make sense to write the actual movie. But it wasn't really formed. 
like an actual movie. It wasn't like a script for prequels that he would never do. It was just like background information that, that he knew that he didn't have to, to show or shoot on a film in any way. Um, well, what's interesting about it is because the, because one of the things that I, when I was researching this, it's like, Oh, like they'll say something, you know, like they're recorded. have said something back in 76, 77, eighties. And now like, it doesn't all match up. Do you know what I mean? Like, Oh, the mm-hmm. sources of inspiration has changed. And from, from interview to interview and people are like, well, that's not what happened. And you know, people will say yeah. different things. Um, it that's kind of happened with like, Oh, was star Wars always imagined to be a multiple thing? Because he back then he said that oh it's just like a one film something that you watch on Saturday night like it's just like a yeah. one off and that's it and then you know he was like well the movie became successful and they're like well we we want to we want more so I think he had like a vague idea but then now you read that like the the crawl that you just read and it's like well he always had an idea for all this stuff and now it's like oh no i envisioned it like it was a massive script that i had to cut into different parts because it was too massive for one movie and he's like i always envisioned envisioned it like this it's hard really figuring out what's the truth like what actually the truth the truth is somewhere in between that because in in this script like there is a cloud uh, a floating city in the skies like Mm -hmm. like in um uh, empire strikes back and even in the the previous version of the the Star Wars, uh, like the rough draft, they they crash land on this planet, this like jungle planet, and it have to befriend some Wookies, which sounds like Return of the Jedi, except instead of Wookies, you have Ewoks. Ewoks. And all, all of this is about like the this imperial force taking over everything and you have these freedom fighters fighting against it it's always from the perspective of the guerrilla fighters mm-hmm. because uh he was really interested in the vietnam war and when we were talking before about how the this, the empire kind of resembled nazis yeah but it also kind of resembled the americans uh, the you know the united states in vietnam mm-hmm no, absolutely. And even in the the prequels, like there's some language that Anakin has, like if you're not with me then you're my enemy, that's very similar to some of the language George W. Bush says when he's he's like if you're not with us you're with the terrorists. Mm-hmm. That's not a coincidence. You know, <laughs> he did that on purpose. Well, and he is a political guy. Oh yeah. Which is funny when people complain about the politics of Star Wars, like there are never politics in Star Wars. Nah, it's it's all there. It's just kind of beneath all the lasers and explosions. And you choose Jedi's to for, you choose shit. to ignore that, and yeah, you, and just tell yourself that it's a fun family romp that has nothing political about it. Isn't that the thing that everybody says now? Don't make something political, and then you find out eh, it was actually political to be from the very <laughs> beginning. But you know, yeah, what the fuck do we know? You know, we just read interviews with the creators <laughs> who admitted it publicly. We just know what we're talking about. <laughs> eh, well, not not all the time, but you know. Sometimes we we do a little bit of research and sometimes like when someone says the original author, this was political and people are like, well, I never I didn't read that. But anyway, (laughs) I digress. Uh, What's really fascinating about this version is this is the first time that we get like concept art for what the world of Star Wars looks like. And the one thing that like you you can see like the, the lightsaber concept, I think at this point they're still called laser swords. You can see Darth Vader 
um, get into a duel with Deke because this, the story still has Deke Starkiller. Um, he still gets into a fight with a Sith, except this time it's Darth Vader. He puts these this message that he wants to deliver to his younger brother, uh, Luke Starkiller, and he puts it on R two D two and C three PO, and then they like eject because they're being chased, you know, like in the New Hope. And he gets into a fight with Darth Vader and he loses and like he's drained of his life life force. And then you get this thing with the droids and they're captured by the Jawas and they escape and they find Lars homestead. Lars has his family. Lars being Owen Lars, who's also a Jedi. And he has a wife, Baru, and they're taking care of their daughter, Leia Lars. But they're <laughs> also taking care of their nephews, the sons of the Starkiller. The son of sons, I guess, because this, I don't know. It's weird. It's like some weird, like fantasy lingo. The son of sons, you know, mm-hmm. their kids were Windy, Biggs, and the eldest one who had the Jedi title of Skywalker, Luke Starkiller. And he gets the message and he goes to the can goes to a cantina and he meets Han Solo and there's a fight, and Luke has his laser sword, and he defeats the bad guys, and they team up, and Han steals a ship from his boss, and only three of the crew remain, a cyborg, a computer analyst, and a Wookiee named Chewbacca, and they go to Organa Major, because Luke's dad, the Star Killer, is on Organa Major, and they have to like deliver this thing called the Kyber Crystal to him. And when they get there, it's been destroyed. Organa Major has been destroyed. And they're like, what? How did they do this? What are we going to do now? And then Luke is, is like, well, I think we have to go to Alderaan, which is the Imperial capital. And maybe we can rescue my brother Deke. So they go to, to Alderaan, which is a floating city. And there's like a chase with these TIE fighters and Luke has to use the Kyber crystal to keep his brother alive. And eventually they get to the rebel base on a Yavin moon. Which, and then they discover that this thing called the Death Star has destroyed Organa Major and they have to destroy the Death Star before they destroy the rebel base. And Luke has to use the Kyber crystal to like... it's The Kyber crystal... In, in like actual Star Wars universe is what powers lightsabers. But in this version of Star Wars, it's like this thing that the Jedis use to like manifest their powers or something. It's kind of like a wand, I guess, in Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> and he's using it to like heal his brother and he finds his dad on Yavin and he uses it to heal his dad. And his dad's like, all right, when you get back, I'm going to teach you how to be a Jedi. And then... Luke has to like go and fight the, the Death Star and Han is like I'm only in it for the money and he wants to leave and then there's like a chase battle Darth Vader's right about to kill Luke Skywalker but of course Han Solo comes back and he shoots at Darth Vader and Darth Vader's like well I'm about to die but I'm gonna take this guy out with me and he like suicide crashes into Han Solo and Luke shoots destroys the death star and they finds out hey my friends they're still alive because they're in these escape pods they're like waving at each other and then the movie ends which is is like star wars but very long 
Yeah. Also, there's no Ben Kenobi. Mm-hmm. Which is something, the, the big change in the third draft. And I think this is the, the third draft is the one that was went out to different actors to, to for casting calls because I have, I went through the test footage because there's a particular line that was very wordy that Luke, that Mark Hamill would complain about later on, which is, I do have it all prepared. But basically, this movie is very similar to Star Wars, what we know. Um, Anakin is now Luke's dad, and he's dead. And Anakin's best friend was this guy called Ben. They knew each other from the Clone Wars. Uh, there's a scene where Luke is watching the space battle from his home planet of Utapau. And he looks up to his friend, Biggs Darklighter, who's like a space cadet. He like graduated from the academy. Uh, but that's where his story ends. In the shooting script of Star Wars, Biggs is like kind of pulls Luke aside and is like, hey, I'm actually going to join the Rebel Alliance. And if you want to come, you can come with me. And Luke is like, aw, but Uncle Owen. <laughs> and in this version of Star Wars, Uncle Owen... And Luke have an arrangement for Luke to go to the Academy. But Uncle Owen spends Luke's tuition money on the droids. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> That's insane. Uh, that, it totally changes the, the nature of their relationship. Yeah. When, when you come back and he's dead, it's like, well, he had it coming. I don't think he dies in this version. Oh, he doesn't? No. Oh, my God. Like um, Ben, like Luke meets Ben. Like, but for the first time at, after the attack of the Tuscan Raiders, which happens in the, the movie that we know. And they're like, all right, let's Luke, you got to come with me because I'm not the man I used to be. I got a, I have a bionic arm. <laughs> He's, he has like a cyborg arm. He's like, I can't, I can't do the things I used to. You got to come with me. Uh, and they meet Han Solo and all that. He agrees to take him. They... Uh, the kyber crystal is still a thing. It's still like some kind of totem wand that the Jedi and Sith used to amplify their powers. They go on the Alderaan. They go to Alderaan to rescue the princess. I think there's a princess in this version. I didn't write it down. I could, I could be wrong. Uh, but they rescue the princess from Alderaan and then they discover that there's a the, the Death Star thing and blow up the death star uh there's another one interesting thing is that ben ben kenobi does not die in this version he mm. he gets into the fight with darth vader and then once he sees his friends are safe he uses the force to close the door between them so darth vader is just kind of like we're saving him for later he's going to come back in maybe the sequel or something they go back to the rebel base and they meet up with all these people chewbacca and chewie are two different characters oh god <laughs> Chewie is not a Wookiee. Chewbacca is. Uh, and there's this guy, Grand Moff Tarkin, who's on the rebel side. He's like the rebel commander. He's like the guy who's telling them how to blow up the Death Star. And then when they actually do blow up the Death Star, Luke, Han, Chewbacca, R2, and 3PO all get medals. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, what the... Okay. <laughs> So I think this is the version that kind of went out because I have uh, some test footage from their lines. But Lucas 
was not originally a writer, right? Like he just has this idea. And if you kind of watch the prequels, there's a lot of like weird acting choices and weird lines and shit. Like I don't like sand. It's rough. It's, you know, and it gets just, everywhere. It gets everywhere, which is funny, but I don't, it kind of takes you out of like the, the drama of, of it. You know, it, it kind of takes mm-hmm. you out of it and you're kind of laughing at it. The, the, the prequels have, have shown that George may not be the strongest writer. It It is out there. Like, uh, even I like the prequels, and even I can acknowledge that. Like, eh. What I, I think happened... Oh, shoot, this isn't right. What, what I think happened was you have these actors who are just trying to do the best they can, and they go to this director and like, my guy, I cannot do this. Can we please meet in the middle? Can we please simplify this? Uh, I... As I mentioned before, he had a, he took inspiration from Akira Kurosawa's uh, work and the Jedi kind of act like samurai. And Mm -hmm. Ben Kenobi was supposed, he initially wanted Toshiro Mifune. He wanted a Japanese actor, right? It was uh, was the guy that worked with Akira Kurosawa. Yes, the Akira Kurosawa's Leonardo DiCaprio, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Until they had a falling out, but. That's it's a whole I read into that too, but like there's I can't put that in this episode. Basically, he's a huge actor in in Japan. He was the guy that they named Speed Racer after. Go Mifune was named after Toshiro Mifune. Big deal. Oh shit. Yeah. Which which I love because it brings our Speed Racer and, and Star Wars episodes in interlinked somehow. We have a we have a Speed Racer episode out there. Um so Toshiro Mifune, he reads the script and is like Y'all are trying to make samurais look goofy. I don't want to do this. <laughs> it goes back to what we were saying, that science fiction had a bad rap at the time, and people didn't take it seriously enough. No, they didn't. And if if you're going to have people say lines like this, it's, I can see why, you know? Uh, but, so the context for what I'm about to play is Luke and Han discover that Organa Major has been destroyed. And they're like, damn, what are we going to do next? Where do we go from here? They probably took her to find the bases. I don't see how we can find the rebels before she breaks. I mean, the Empire has already beat us here. Yeah, well, she's, she's a part of the royal family. Now they won't get anything out of her. She knows the art of mind control. <clears throat> she still is the only link between us and the foreign bases. Well, you mean we should go after her? Well, I wasn't thinking about that, but that's a good idea. Oh, wait a minute. She's an Alderan. It's impossible. Nobody, and I mean nobody, ventures anywhere near the Alderan system. Hey, I'm a freebooter. I'm not a revolutionary. You, uh, you board the wrong ship, son. Mm, but maybe the fact that no one would go the voluntarily could help us. See, they probably don't think anybody would dare do it. Don't you believe it? But fear is the, is the greatest offense. I doubt that there's, or oh, that the actual security <laughs> is much greater than an alkali or solace. And what is there is most likely directed toward large-scale assault. This isn't a game, you know. How many more systems do you want to get blown away before there's no place to hide and you are forced to fight? Do you know what's going on? Kids, you take the glory and the good intentions. And I'll take the reward. 
Hey, I'm a freebooter. I'm not a revolutionary. Look at it. maybe the fact that uh, that no one would dare go there. Uh, maybe the fact that no one would uh, uh, go there voluntarily can help us. They probably don't even expect that anyone would ever go there uh, at all. <laughs> don't you believe it? Look at fear is our greatest weapon. I doubt that the actual security there is any greater than on a Kuala Solace. And that what that there is is probably directed toward a large scale assault. Look, this isn't a game, you know. Fear is their greatest weapon. I doubt that the actual security there is much greater than on, on Aquile or, or Sullust. And what there is, is, is probably directed toward large-scale assault. Hey, come on, this is not a game. That's it. Fear. Fear is their greatest defense. Why? I doubt if their security is any greater on Aquile or Sullust. And, and even if it is, I mean, it's probably geared towards, towards, towards uh, mass assault. I doubt if their security systems are any greater there than on Aculiosulus. And what there is is probably directed toward a large-scale attack. This is not a game, you know. Fear is their greatest defense. I doubt if the actual security there is much greater than on Aculiosulus. And what there is is most likely directed towards a large-scale assault. This is not a game, you know. Well, how many more systems have to get blown away before you have no place to hide or force to fight? Don't you realize what's going on? Kid... You take the glory and the good intentions. I'll take the reward. Okay. So you notice how everybody kind of struggled with those lines? Oh, yeah. Particularly okay, so, the Luke lines? Okay, so so at the end, that was Mark Hamill and uh, and Harrison Ford, right? Yes, it was. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, they all kind of struggled slightly. It was, you could, and like, I could see what he was doing. and And the thing is, what's funny is this reminds me of like, Stuff that I've heard in older science fiction stuff, like with the weird jargon and the fear is the greatest weapon, you know? Like, I mean, that's a line that's almost ripped out of uh, Frank Herbert's Dune. Fear is the mind killer. <laughs> oh, I, I love it in Dune, though. I the love only reason Dune. I know about it is because I, I just saw the Denisville new film. I, before this, I didn't know that much about Dune. But <sighs> it goes back to what I was saying was that what makes Star Wars so great, the original film, the way it is, is that it's accessible. Right. Yes. Yeah. Han Solo, you know, uh, uh, Jedis are kind of weird, but they're really just monks. Right. They're relatable to a certain extent. And the way he, he describes the force. But it's like a thing that brings together the entire universe. Right. Yes. It binds us. It penetrates us. It keeps the galaxy together. Exactly. Like that. And I mean, honestly, there are people in our real world that that say stuff like that. Don't they say Mercury's in retrograde? So it's fucking with my <laughs> chi or whatever. I don't know what the fuck. But but uh, no, but but there is an accessibility to Star Wars. And this right here proves that Star Wars was absolutely not accessible. It, it, none of the drafts. Everything you've been saying, just it was George Lucas doing what he didn't want to do, which was being like uh flash gordon and being like dune and being like all these science fiction things that were super heady and it's like how do we describe this to people do you know what i mean and yeah dune was really popular i imagine but mm -hmm. i mean they tried making a movie it didn't go well <laughs> <laughs> so it's oh yeah it's it's really and i mean when they did try to make the film with Dan, with david lynch like it was they only did it because Star Wars was so popular, but they were trying to water down something that was 
science science yeah, fiction. Yeah, it was heavy dense. into the science of the fiction. You know, yeah. it and I would I think George Lucas and Star Wars wanted to do was to try to make it something fun that you can go and be like, damn, that was awesome. Well, I was again, taken to this other world and it was awesome. It was fun and it was hopeful. It was like a movie that they you would watch on a Saturday night. But with these lines of dialogues, what the fuck is <laughs> this is fear is our greatest weapon and it's no fear is their greatest weapon. Yeah, and I'll say this they were doing a pretty decent job. But they were like, trying, yeah. And I'll say this: the people who got closest was Luke or uh, Mark Hamill and Han Solo. Han Solo even sold the final line: "You take the glory, or you take the glory, and I'll take the money." Like it's okay. I you've got you've got the essence. You just have to sell us on everything else you're saying. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I think in the Star Wars celebration in 2017, like right around when the Last Jedi came out, Mark Hamill actually talks. He's like memorized this line and he loves bring. It seems like he loves bringing it up as like, man, George had a lot of great ideas, but sometimes the things he would make us say was ridiculous. I still remember this line. So you begged George to pop that line, didn't you? Well, what it was was when I read it, intellectually understood what it was. Now, I've never forgotten this after all these years, but we can turn back. Fear is their greatest defense. I doubt if the actual security there is any greater than it was on Aquilae or Stellus, and what there is is most likely directed towards a large-scale assault. Huh? Listen. So, it, it makes sense. Fear is their greatest defense, because they're intimidating this gigantic uh, contraption. I doubt if the actual security there is any greater than it was on Aquilae or Stellus, two made-up planetoids. I get that. Uh, and and uh, what there is is most likely directed towards a large-scale assault. In other words, we're waiting for an armada. We could slip in in this little tiny hamburger-shaped uh, Millennium Falcon thing. So it made sense intellectually. The trick was, how can you make it sound like it's spontaneous dialogue that's just rolling off, the, off your tongue? <laughs> well, not, not so easy. Uh, I was going to say, he's, uh, uh, he was right. Uh, it... <laughs> It wasn't much, a bit much, uh, although it's stuck in your brain. You it's stuck in my it. brain. I've never been able to get rid of it. But it was the one that actually said, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it eventually went away. We never even shot it for when we actually went over. Yeah, I think, I think the scene itself got cut out. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was my favorite because I loved Harrison. I said, look what Harrison has to say. It'll take a few moments for the Navi computer to calculate the coordinates. He'll never do it. <laughs> We were making book on whether he'd be able to actually say it. <laughs> I said to George, you can type this stuff, stuff <laughs> but you can't say it. Move your mouth while you're talking, while you're typing it. And I couldn't say it. It took me like 15 takes. Uh. I think what happens with, all, with everyone is that like they... They saw what they were making, and really there was only one person who thought it was going to be a success, which was, or one of the cast members, which was... Um, Alec Guinness. Alec Guinness, yeah. He did see something in it. He yeah. Did, he's like, there's a lot of, like, dialogue. He even calls the dialogue garbage at one point. And there was a script on my dressing table, and um, I saw George Lucas's name, and that I knew had, you know, was potential there. And then I opened it and I thought, oh my God, it's, you know, it's science fiction mm -hmm. and it's not going to be for me. But I'll 
read a little bit, and I started reading. I didn't think the dialogue was very good, but it held me from page to page. Mm -hmm. And the next day I met with Lucas. We had lunch together. I liked him enormously. And, you know, shortly after that, he said, would I come and play that part? Well, he sees the potential, right? And, mm-hmm. But nobody else did. So imagine you're on a project that you think is going to fail and it turns out to be one of the biggest fucking things on the planet. Those lines are, I mean, they're interesting. Star Wars would have been a very different film if it was 120 pages of just that. Oh, yeah. But I I think in, in the Star Wars celebration thing, he talks about it and he says, like, OK, it makes sense. But nobody fucking talks like that. <laughs> and certainly not this kid on a moisture farm you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like it just and i think at this point right like george lucas has two films under his belt he really wants to make this movie and there's a bunch of these people with him on the set who are like i need work with me george work with me and you you compromise and even the the crawl right like Mm, so there's like a rough rough cut of star wars where it has all of the it's really long you you meet luke right at the beginning he's like looking up at the stars and he's like guys look there's a space battle and all his friends are like that's not a space battle you're dumb wormy like one of his friends calls him wormy for some reason they filmed that right they filmed that and you 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 see biggs and biggs is like hey luke uh this no one cares about this planet I'm joining the Rebel Alliance. You want to come with me? And he's like, I want to, but I got to go back home to Uncle Owen. And and uh, he screens this for all of his filmmaker friends. And they're like, this this is kind of boring. Wasn't Brian De Palma the one that suggested they add the, the crawl? Yeah, Brian De Palma, who's like the director of the Carrie. first Mission Impossible, Carrie, and maybe most famously, Scarface. Mm-hmm. He's like, George, this prologue, how do you expect people to read this? Give it to me. Let me redo it. Let me work with you, work with some other guys, and we'll make this, like, accessible to people. Mm-hmm. And should I read the, the crawl, a New Hope crawl? Because so I've read all the other ones. Yeah, yeah. No, go, go. Give us a refresher, and that way we can compare it to literally what we just heard. It is a period of civil wars in the galaxy. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters have challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire, striking from a fortress hidden among the billions of stars of the galaxy. Wait, is this, the, this isn't the crawl. It sounds like it. Something sounds off. There, there's something weird there. <laughs> this is the crawl that we know. It is a period of civil war. Rebel spaceships striking from a hidden base have won their first victory against the evil Galactic Empire. During the battle, rebel spies managed to steal secret plans to the Empire's ultimate weapon, the Death Star, an armored space station with enough firepower to destroy an entire planet. Pursued by the Empire's sinister agents, Princess Leia races home aboard her starship, custodian of the stolen plans that can save her people and restore freedom to the galaxy. Boom. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. It's so easy. It's so simple. And I don't know what you were reading before, but it sounded like on point. Like it was way more simplified. I feel like in in the final version of The Crawl, it's like, this is everything you need to know. And the the Empire is evil. Rebels, you know, they're like the underdogs. 
and they have this thing that's really important and they're being chased by the empire. And that's, that's what you see. You see them try to get these plans off on these droids and princess, you see princess Leia. You don't need to know. You don't need to see like a title for her when she appears on the screen. You just know it's her because of the, the shot that they use when you see her and the, the music that you hear when you, when you see her, you know, the music, like we've said it before, the music plays such an important role. And do you know how he got the music? Do you know how he got John Williams to, to be a part of his Star Wars universe? Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg. Steven yeah. Spielberg watches this movie or he, he gets in, he's friends with Luke or friends with George Lucas. And he's like, hey, uh, I got this guy, John Williams. Maybe you guys can work together and come up with something for your Star Wars movie. And like, that's, I love that because it's just friends helping friends. Mm -hmm. They're not doing it for like, I want a piece of the pie when you make it big. You know, it's like, oh, if you do this for me, then you got to come. You know, it's, it's all people just trying to make a really good movie outside of the Hollywood system, outside of, of, of everything. Well, it, I don't know about Steven Spielberg because he was very much part of the system. Oh, yes. Steven Spielberg was, but he's trying to help George. But he, he's was, trying to help George and not like, he's not being insidious about it. He's not like, you scratch my back. I, it's more of like, like, I will help you because you're my friend. And they're still friends mm -hmm. to this day. Yeah. Like, that's, George would go on to write uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and they're, like, helping each other. And Steven, they're, like, the behind the scenes of Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, you could see Steven Spielberg's there visiting the set and looking at all the droids and stuff. And it's like, that's his boy. Like, that's, they're, they're homies. So. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, they're millionaires, or bi maybe billionaires now. Oh, but like they're, back both, they're both worth billions. Back when they were doing, when George was doing the Star Wars, like he had American graffiti under his belt, like he's made his money, but he put all of that money into creating his own studio, Lucasfilm, and into creating a special effects, visual effects house, which did not exist before. He had to make it up because he wanted, above all, he wanted the Star Wars to look good. Mm -hmm. So he had to come up with a bunch of the new special effects house called ILM. And he put all of the money that he just won from American graffiti. Like imagine winning the lottery and then spending it all to do it again. Yeah. To gamble again. But it's, it's, instead of gambling, it's, it's an art, artistic endeavor. People did not believe like imagine, imagine getting rejected, rejected and rejected and still being confident enough to put your mo own money down to pay for this and finance it. And to, to tell people like, no, this is going to work. Because he wouldn't have done it if it would have been terrible. Like, if he thought it was going to be terrible. Do you know what I mean? Like, people invest yeah. the time and effort and money into things that they believe in, that they think this is going to be good. I mean, granted, I don't I don't think he imagined it being the biggest thing on the planet. But, you no. know, he definitely thought that, no, this is a good thing. I believe in this. Um, And it might make its money back. It might not. But I believe in it. And that's what's so great about this. Oh, yeah. They... Do you know, do you know much about the, the production? Like when they actually started filming the thing? I do know a little bit about the actual production. I didn't know that they actually filmed in Africa. Yeah, they filmed in Tunisia. Uh, all the Tatooine stuff was done mm -hmm. in Tunisia. And I know that they filmed a little bit in, uh, in El Salvador, 
I believe. Mm-hmm. For, for um, Yavin, I think. Yeah. The, the, the rebel base planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I know a little bit about that. I do know what a headache this movie was. Like the, just what they were going through. Like trying, cause it, cause it was an expensive movie, but they were well, doing stuff. It was low, low budget compared to other films. Like yeah. It, this movie was 10, I think it was $11 million budget initially it was eight million but things were really expensive you know you're you have these guys in these suits out in the desert it dirt like c-3po the actor playing him was cooking cooking in that uniform same thing with uh, the wookie peter peter math math mayhew oh, mayhew mm-hmm. uh r2d2 that actor kenny baker yeah kenny baker as r2d2 anthony daniels as c-3po who Plays him up up until like the most recent one, I'd imagine. Like for not having seen his face, he's the one that's most consistent. Yeah, and, 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 and James Earl Jones as well. As oh yeah, Voice of the oh Vader, yeah. Who is voicing oh, yeah. him in Kenobi? Which is great. I love. I love how like they're all kind of they still have jobs, you know, because yeah. it's making movies is such a, a risk, you know. Like you 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 put yourself out there, and then if the thing doesn't work, people are like, "Well, it's your fault." We shouldn't yeah. let you ever do the thing. And then it's like, damn, now everyone knows me as the guy that messed up, even if I didn't mess up. Yeah. And I, I love that they're still getting work to, to do because when people want to blame you for something, it's hard to get work. Oh, 100%. The, the filming of this movie was chaotic. The visual effects took years to nail down. Oh, my years? And, the mix, and it was the mixture of like practicals and... And computer generated graphics and kind of filming all the stuff and printing it optically or using uh, optical cameras to like layer like the the lightsaber uh, effect on top of like this on on these sticks that they had. (laughs) It was just wild, wild. And like you look at the behind the scenes of how they filmed the TIE fight, like just that final that whole final battle they built like part of the trench outside and they had like a camera on a moving truck and they were filming it and they had explosions they were filming it inside they had different sizes of like the turrets you know because you know when they're filming like wide shots yeah you can't really you know you're when you're filming wider you're having the camera move across the trench you know everything could be miniature but when you're trying to get a close-up of a turret you can't you can't film a miniature turret. You have to build something bigger, right? Mm-hmm. And that's just yeah. a goddamn turret. <laughs> yeah, and it's all stuff that people hadn't really done before. Well, and on top of that, you're also designing the thing. Because it's not just about, okay, how are we going to film this trench run? That's part of it. Oh, how are we going to film these fighter jets and stuff? Yeah, that's part of it. But how does this stuff actually look? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because there has to be like a uniform consistency between the rebels and the empire and their designs, like oh yeah, and that's stuff that they were figuring out like for months. I mean, do you know that the Millennium Falcon was not what it was originally? What was it originally? It looked like the starship in the very beginning, almost like it was a straight oh, the line. The Four, I think. Man, there's no way to actually show this, but this is the the original design of the Millennium Falcon. It looks like the starship from the very beginning. It's just yeah. a straight thing. Yeah, it looks like the the tan. I think it's called the Tantive Four, the Leia's ship that that gets caught from the beginning. 
And then I guess, but there was a TV show. I think it was like Space 69 or something. I don't know what it was. There's another TV show. The designers for the Millennium Falcon were like, we've never seen that show. But apparently the designers on that show said that we copied their design. Like, we never even knew what the, we never, we've never seen your stuff. We've never seen your shit. So they, <laughs> they like redesigned it and they're like, all right, fuck it. Just make it like a hamburger patty, you know? <laughs> and originally the, the cockpit was supposed to like rotate. So when it was actually, so it lands like a bur- hot, like a, like a burger patty, patty. But when uh-huh. it's about to fly, it's the cockpit's supposed to rotate. So the, the, the ship is flying almost like a sideways frisbee. Oh, like the B-Wings. Yes! Oh, wow. my God. That's weird. Like, yeah. and, and, and the designers were like, that didn't last long. Like, that mm-hmm. That was, like, something that we got rid of early on. But it just shows, like, the ir- the iterative process of it. And they were like, well, this is stuff that you have to figure out on the fly. And they did a lot of that for this film. They were just, like, figuring it out as they went on. And another cool thing was you have the TIE Fighters... And that was the original design for all of them. But when Vader joins the battle... It's like, well, we got to make his ship a little bit different so that everybody knows which one he's, which one he is. Exactly. And they demonstrated it by having like some storyboards of a bunch of TIE fighters. They moved <laughs> to footage of Darth, of Darth Vader and then they cut to a, a, a wide image of a bunch of TIE fighters. Like, which one is he in? Mm-hmm. And they I have, love like, that you never see Darth Vader get into his TIE fighter. But, but you know, you know, which one is his. You've always known. And <laughs> what's so cool is that they actually built, made some designs that would go on into the sequels. I love Kylo Ren's ship. I, forgot, I think it's called the Silencer or something. Mm. It just looks lethal. You know? <laughs> I've always been a fan of the Interceptor. Just, uh, oh, yeah, I love the Interceptor. And when you brought it up, I was like, oh, my God, that brought back so many memories. Oh, yeah. And the way all those ships sound, too, like the X-Wings sound different. Their lasers sound different from the high fighter lasers. The, their engines sound different. The Millennium Falcon sounds different. The crazy stuff they did to get those sounds. Like, who would have thought that, like, smacking a steel cable and recording it and screwing with the the audio waves is like, all right, that's a laser now. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And I think that they, for R2-D2's, like, beeps and stuff, they were, like, a baby sounds. They were baby sounds <laughs> over, like, a recorder or something, and they put it in a synthesizer. I think I read oh something like God. that. I know the Wookiee, like, Chewbacca's growls are, like, mixtures of lions and bears and dogs and, and, and stuff. That is the crazy thing about sound design. The work that people do to make us believe that that's what that sounds like. You know, that's that's the sound effect that that would make mm-hmm. is is so important to making these movies, because ultimately what Star Wars is, is taking you to this different fantasy world. And if it can't make you believe that it's all just mumbo jumbo and you're like, this is dumb. That's <laughs> not that's not Tatooine. That's that's Tunisia. You know what I mean? No, I feel you. I will say, I will correct myself. I said the Interceptor was my favorite ship from Star Wars. It, no, it's the Outrider, Dash Rendar's ship. The Outrider oh. is the one that I love. Well, that reminds me of something very important. If there's anything I hate saying more than I told you so, it is, George, actually, earlier, you were right. I made a mistake on the last episode. So we talked about the pre-production. We talked about the production 
there is something else I, I would like to get into, and that's how this movie has changed, right? We kind of talked about it before, how uh, oh, this Jabba scene wasn't there before. It's repetitive. Um, these The dinosaurs that are blocking the shot, we went to that at length. But there's also one scene that I thought was in the movie that was not. <gasps> it is the scene when uh, Biggs meets up with Luke at the end of the movie I before they go and fight it. the Death Star. <laughs> I couldn't have been crazy. I knew it. Oh, oh, that yes. feels so good. I, just, I, just, I don't I don't want to be somebody who just says the wrong thing and finds out, oh, I was wrong and then not admit it. No, that's not me. I'm be better than that. George, no, no, I right. appreciate that. That is a mature thing to do. I definitely would have <laughs> hid it from you. But don't be like me. Nah, man. Like we, we work together, you know, like we're, we got different sides of the of the thing. We got all the bases covered. That's what makes us hopefully a good podcast. <laughs> I believe but. so. This movie was this movie was an iterative process in the writing stage, in the production, especially in the visual effects, just coming up with the designs. What's this going to look like? Let's try this technique. Oh, it doesn't work. We have to do it digitally, optically like. This movie was iterative, right? When you say iterative, do you mean? I mean that it was like a trial and error kind of thing. Like it was like, okay, okay here's the first iteration. Now here's the second version of it. Here's the third version of it. Like the scripts, like the drafts, you know? Well, this is too complicated. There's too much science science fiction. Let me cut back. You know what? I'm going to take the structure from the Hidden Fortress, kind of work on that a little bit more. Oh, here's, you know what I mean? Yeah, the, the mythology parts of it. The... What do I keep in and what do I keep out? The dialogue yeah. was, okay, let's try this. Let's try that. It's like a trial and error kind of thing. But a huge aspect of it that a lot of people don't talk about is that the editing of this film was trial and error. Because they actually put it together. They didn't have the crawl for a while, the scroll for a while. But then they added it because Brian De Palma was like, this is fucking confusing. I don't know what's <laughs> happening. And it threw him off really bad. Uh, so that was something that they added and the movie was worked on by, oh, what's her name? Um, uh, it starts with an M. Marsha Lucas. Yeah. The film was edited and she was credited with fixing Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. That's, that, that's, that's how people refer to it, that she was fixing Star Wars because there were some issues with it. Yeah. Um, like it's that whole beginning with Luke looking at the, the space battle and his friends are like shut up wormy like that was it's interesting as like going back as a fan i'm like oh this is the, the behind this the scenes the deleted scenes the bonus features but maybe if i saw that as a kid i would have never gotten into star wars because i've been this is boring <laughs> yeah like they had to rework the film a lot of times and they brought in different editors to work on different scenes and they were like going like they took out they took out Biggs entirely. Like oh, he yeah. was a character and he's completely cut out of it. And from what I'm hearing, even that scene that they kept in the Disney Plus version he is not in the original cut. So that dude was completely cut from the original yeah. cut. He's just like mentioned once when Aunt Bruce, when uh, Uncle Owen tells Luke, you got to stay in for another season. Look, it's only one more season. Yeah, she said when Biggs and Tank left. And then at the end, you're he's like, ah, oh, blast it, where are you, Biggs? Blast it, Biggs, where are you? 
So it's like, wait, is that the same Biggs you were talking about before? Or is it like a, maybe Biggs a popular name in the, in the galaxy far, far away or, or something? Mm-hmm. They were talking about how, like, when they were editing, it's like, so we simplified it by taking out Luke and Biggs. Uh, there's like a version of the lost cut. There's like a way more documentary approach to the film and the stakes weren't set up properly and like 30 to 40 percent different footage from the final cut, which most of the differences coming from extended cuts or alternate takes rather than deleted scenes. So the movie went through a lot of changes where it's like, well, this take doesn't work or this doesn't this doesn't fit or this this character relationship don't work. The thing about editing is a thankless job. It is because you have a script. So a lot of the times people think, well, you just plug and play like you just you have everything and you just organize it together. But the reality is it's a lot more complicated. When do we cut back to Leia? When do we cut to Luke? What's what are these action scenes going to look like? Do the character, do people understand what's happening? I mean, that opening crawl sets up a lot and you understand immediately. And the way, it's funny too, because the way the movie is shot, the way the story is presented, it's almost like the Death Star is supposed to come out as like a big shock for people. Like what it's capable of doing. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The movie is set up where like the Death Star is something that we learn along with Leia. Yes. But they spoiled the Death Star at the very beginning. A battleship that can destroy planets. Yeah, it removes maybe some of the tension that we would have felt in that moment. Or like the shock of knowing that there's a battle station that could destroy planets. But it's all done for clarity. And that was something yeah. that they were honing in on was clarity. Because something that Marsha said was that they the audience has to be able to sh- cheer. Like, if the audience doesn't cheer when Han Solo comes in at the last second in the Millennium Falcon to help Luke when he's being chased by Darth Vader, the picture doesn't work. That, to me, signals someone who was focused in on the emotion and the clarity and the emotional clarity mm-hmm. of what was happening in the film. Because, yes, you could have all this mumbo jumbo about science and fear and the force and all that. But in the end of the day, if people don't care about the characters, it doesn't mean shit. And I mean, again, mm-hmm. like I mentioned this in the first part, the reason for me, the original stand out better would because that original trio is unstoppable. And the editors, I mean, they're trying to figure out what's happening because, again, they're they're off shooting and they're editing the picture, but it doesn't make that much sense. It really only seems like George knows what's happening. You know, and like sometimes it seems like he doesn't know what's happening. Well, it, that is very true. <laughs> and they're all, it's it's just trying to figure out what is this. And so you need so you needed someone like Marsha to come in. And it's like, no, this is the moral center of the film. It's these three characters and them helping each other. The editing team did a great job in the end. I don't know who's credited as the main editor or whose sections did what, but I mean, shout out to them because they nailed it. Absolutely. And the special effects, sound effects, everything creates this like really cool, cool world. But I do think that there is like, um, I do think that a bunch of talented people got together and made this like really cool thing. But the guy who like created it, I feel like there's there was a part of him that just wanted to make it better. You know, like he only got eight million or eleven million to do this movie. Uh it wasn't a a fun time for him. And he the movie was very successful. The reviews I do have. It wasn't like universally loved. There's there's a lot of haters. Um uh Siskel Gene Siskel from Siskel and Ebert 
he said, Star Wars is not a great movie in that describes the human condition. It is simply a fun picture that will appeal to those who enjoy Buck Rogers style adventures. But places what places it a sizable cut about the routine is its spectacular visual effects, the best since Stanley Kubrick's 2001. Star Wars is a battle between good and evil, the bad guys led by Peter Cushing and an assistant who looks like a black vinyl-coated frog control the universe with their dreaded Death Star. He called, black, he called Darth Vader a black vinyl-coated frog. <laughs> You know what? I kind of don't. I kind of really love that description. It's it's pretty funny. Um, Roger Ebert. Star Wars is a fairy tale of fantasy legend finding its roots in some of our most popular fictions. He liked this movie. He he compared the droids to like the Tin Man, the Cowardly Lion, and the Scarecrow, yeah. the Wizard of Oz. He's like, oh, it kind of reminds me of Flash Gordon, two thousand one Space Odyssey. And there's Nazis, but then there's sorcerers too. It's kind of like uh, Robin Hood. And all this, Pauline Kale, uh, not exactly a huge fan of the movie. She was like, this is made for children. An hour into it, children say they're getting ready to see it again. That's because it's an assemblage of spare parts. It has no emotional grip. Star Wars may be the only movie in which the first time around the surprises are reassuring. It's an epic without a dream. But it's probably the absence of wonder that accounts for the film's special huge success. The excitement of those who call it the film of the year go way past nostalgia to the feeling that now is the time to return to childhood. I'll say this. I've got some personal beefs with Pauline Kael. <laughs> so, you know what? I'm going to just take that review and throw it in the trash. But I do think that she's she's right and that it does kind of speak to the child in us. I agree with that. I think making it seem like it's a bad thing is... is no, I but think that's what a lot of people do. It's, well, yeah, of course. I mean, it's a thing that we've on on the podcast we've said is a dumb reason to dislike something. Yeah, it's like, well, this this brings out the child in you, and it's like, if that's the point of it, and it does it, and you think that's what it does, then didn't it accomplish? Did, did it not accomplish what it set out to do? But again, I, I mean, it's this. You know, it's well, we've seen this conversation to today. Marvel films aren't cinema. Marvel this, this, and no, it's such you know. And it's like, look, I get it. Yes, you know, I would still like adult-oriented films, but you know, do enjoy my Marvel films. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Doesn't make me a man child. Just makes me someone that likes different things. Multi, multi, multifaceted, multifaceted. That's the word. All right. Maybe that's why my my vocabulary is really bad, because all I watch is proper (laughs) movies. You know all about that nanotechnology. Exactly. (laughs) And and quantum realms and all that shit. Oh, yeah. Multiverses. Lilo Dallas multiverse. But (laughs) anyway, so the movie's a hit. People are saying all these things. Now Lucas has all this money because he got a really good deal. He got to actually own the movie he made. And he starts making some changes. He doesn't start making the changes in 97. He starts making the changes before that. When the movie hits the wide release, there's like different, he changed the, the shots of the movie are changed to like look better. Uh, when the millennium Falcon is being chased off of Moss Eisley, the effects shot where the star destroyer is shooting at the Falcon was changed. The earlier version had different explosions and different flashes and looks less finished. 
When the heroes arrive on Yavin 4, the outdoor composited shot with the matte painting off of the temple is recomposited and is not synced the same. It also has an artifact in the image. And this is in 77. Uh, when the movie uh, goes into like mono mixed uh, cinemas, because originally it was made for Dolby Stereo and surround sound, you, they couldn't really change those. But for the mono mix, they could change stuff. They started using different lines from different takes. There's a line that was added where, you know how Han is chases, runs at the stormtroopers and he's like, oh shit, there's a lot more of you. And he runs away. Mm-hmm. And then the stormtroopers like, close the blast doors, close the blast doors. Mm-hmm. And then the, the doors close and then they're like, open the blast doors, open the blast. That was all added. That was not in the original theatrical cut. Huh. They added that shit later. There's a line where in the, in the space battle, right? Luke says, blast it, Biggs, where are you? But people don't know who Biggs is because he's been cut out of the movie. So what happened was... They changed the name. They made it sound like he said, Blast it, Wedge, where are you? Because Wedge is the guy that we know. He's the guy that gets hit and he's like, Op, can't do anything. And Luke is like, That's okay, Wedge. You can't do any good. Get out of there. And then he would come back in revenge for Return of the Jedi and all that. There's even Aunt Baru's lines are changed. Just like little things that are changed. And there's a lot of them. There's a lot of different takes. There's a lot of changes to the sounds and lines added and tweaked and everything. And then in 1981, when the movie was re-released, suddenly Star Wars was called Episode 4, A New Hope. Oh, you son of a bitch. This has, it's been happening all the time. And then in 97, 97 is where the biggest changes come in. Biggs was cut out of the movie, right? But... I guess George Lucas wanted to put him back in. And there was that scene in the hangar that was like, all right, we'll put this scene back in, which is the scene that was, that we, that you thought wasn't there. That I said was always there. I was wrong. That scene wasn't always there, but it goes even deeper than this because when Luke is talking to his friend and they're catching up, there's a guy that's like, Hey, are you sure you know how to fly this thing? And then there's a guy that kind of crosses the frame because they had to change the dialogue because what that conversation went to wouldn't match up with the new trilogy that Lucas was making because originally that guy's like, oh, you're Luke Skywalker? I flew with your dad. He was one hell of a pilot. You sure you can handle this shit, sir? Luke is the best bush pilot in the other rim territories. I met your father once when I was just a boy. He was a great pilot. You've got half the skill he had. You'll do all right. Oh <laughs> my God. So they digitally added this guy crossing the frame so that they can change the lines. You'd be like, oh, well, we're lucky to have you, dude. You sure you can handle this shit, sir? Luke is the best bush pilot in the outer rim territories. You'll do all right. Thank you, sir. I'll try. He's been bamboozling us this whole time. I had listened to the episode, but I don't know if it made the cut. There's a rumor that Darth Vader was always Luke's dad because Darth Vader means dark father. That's a fucking lie. All right? Don't believe it. If somebody says that to you, call them a liar. Darth Vader was not Luke's dad until Empire Strikes Back, until they were writing 
Empire Strikes Back. All right. And you can actually find this scene unedited. Wait, wait, what, what scene? Oh, this scene where the, the guy says, I flew with your dad. He was a hell of a oh. pilot. <laughs> no. Oh, my God. This... <sighs> That's hilarious, dude. And to add it back in, they had to change it to add it back in because he was originally in the movie more. They added the the new CGI stuff. They like redid some of the X-Wings to make them look better. They did that whole Greedo thing where Han shoots him in the original cut. And then they, this other cut, they're like, all right, let's 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 have Greedo shoot and miss. And it's like, oh, he's, he misses, but he's right in front of him. So then in 2006, I think, for the DVD release, one of them, I think it was 2006 where they... They did the Greedo thing again. It's just they've been changing it for a while. Uh, and then eventually they would go on to change the faces of people in the later films. But we'll get to that if we do the other films. They actually yeah. redid Jabba. Jabba was put in in 97 with the CGI technology of 97. And then they redid it in 2000, 2004. I understand. I understand wanting to make it look a little bit better, you know, like, oh, let's add some CGI here to make this look just a little cleaner. And so I understand that. That's not a problem. But after a certain points, like, just let it go. Go. In 90, 97 is when all the big changes happened. And Lucas spent his own money that he made doing Star Wars, like $10 million about, about as much as it cost to make the thing in the first place to add all these changes. And a lot of them I don't like, but I do like the big scene. I do like the ships looking more modern. I do like, like the the bonking of the head of the stormtrooper. I like that. Oh, I don't like cool. the I don't like the extended, um, Moss Eisley scene. That's, I, don't, I still go on record and say I hate that. I don't like, I don't like it, but somebody really tried to make this the the best thing that they could and it wasn't based off of anything like like it was based off of other stuff but it was just this guy just trying to make the movie he saw in his head which is Mm -hmm. what we all want to do like all of us who want to be filmmakers we all want to make that movie inside of our head but what made star wars so great is that he had help from all of his friends and all these talented people they came together and did this amazing thing he had his wife edit the thing and she turned she she turned it into what people like Brian De Palma thought was garbage mm-hmm. into, into something that people call a cinematic masterpiece. What's, what's great about it is this whole thing was like, you know, it is like a, it is like a Cinderella kind of thing, you know, where it's mm-hmm. like, you have these guys who just want to make something, a piece of art that they just, they just want to put out in the world. That's great and honest and optimistic and hopeful. And for everyone in the family. And they worked and it wasn't great at first and they were getting rejected and people, some people, most people didn't believe in it, but there was something in there that was great. And he worked at it. He spent hours and days and weeks rewriting and rewriting. It's almost been months uh, working on this. And he found the inspiration that he needed through outside influences, which is what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, he worked hard at it and he got a good team and the team wasn't always there, but they, they were committed. They did the thing. Uh, everyone did their part and they profited off of it. Like it was successful. 
And it, it was almost validating that it was like, yeah, you know what? This thing is great. And one day, all of you are going to want a piece of it, including you, Disney. Including <laughs> you, Disney. Yeah. And I, I think that the, the problem with the, the future of the franchise, I think, was when he came back to do the prequels, he was the George Lucas, the yeah. Star Wars guy. You don't have all your friends in there. You don't have these actors who are like, man, I really need this thing to be a hit. I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to work with this director. It's like, holy shit, I'm in Star Wars. That's George Lucas being my director. You know, I feel like the power balance shifted so far in the favor of this guy who has a lot of good ideas. I think he's a really smart guy, but I don't think he has all the tools at his disposal to make Star Wars again. You know, no, what I mean? it, it's it's not the tools. I just don't think he has the right backing because like you said he's George Lucas. He's the creator of Star Wars. Right? Like back then he was making this stuff and people were way more willing to say this is crap or this isn't great or actually I know a better way of doing that. But now anything's possible with digital technology. You could do anything. So the restrictions have been lifted. And now you have people, young people that grew up with Star Wars seeing this man. It's like, that's George Lucas. And that's what happened with the prequels. You didn't have people questioning them at every turn. And yeah, and I, I think even after they screened Phantom Menace, they knew it was like, hmm, there's a problem here. And we can't exactly fix it in the edit because everything's so intertwined. Yeah. And, and let's not forget. And, and look, credit to George Lucas because he worked very hard. I don't think he deserves the the amount of hate that people have given him so much so that Absolutely they had to make a not. documentary about it. You could, I've, you could be displeased with him and you don't have to like him. That's totally fine and legitimate, but you know, don't hate them. Don't say he raped your childhood. I watched part of that documentary and I was like, geez, they really did say it. That's, that I, is dude, so stupid. How could he, how could he do that to your childhood? Like you can still watch those movies. You know, you, why would you use a word like that? Because you're unhappy with a character in the movie that she went and saw three times in the theaters. Yeah, I mean... And you collected all the toys for. I, I just hate fans sometimes. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I, I agree. I'm, I'm, with, I'm there with you. But, you know, in those prequel films, like, he had all the support that he needed. He had all the tools. He just didn't know exactly how to put it together. And let's not forget that, yes, he created this, and but he only directed the first one. Empire was yeah. directed by Irving Kirshner or Keshner Kirshner. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he shot that film in a way that George Lucas wasn't able to cut around it because George and him did not have the same image of what the, the sequel was going to look like. But they both wanted to make a really good movie the best way that they knew how. Yeah. And, and, I, and- I think that is what uh, made those movies great. At least those first two. I like Return of the Jedi, but even Return of the Jedi, George didn't bring on Irving Kershner again. He brought in a a, a, a yes man. I, I can't remember the director. And <laughs> that's not a that's not a bad thing. I don't you know, he still did a great job with the film. I think I mean, as a child and I like the movie. I love the movie. I, I still like those movies. As I, I got older, I'm like, hmm, this I can see some problems here that I didn't see when I was younger, which maybe well, if we get into Return of the Jedi later, we can get into it's not as finessed as the earlier entries, but it's still solid. I still like it. But it Yeah, I still like, like it. And when you get with the the prequels, you have people who 
I don't think that there's any of that push and pull. I think it's all like, all right, we'll do that. It is just George pushing. Sometimes you have directors that push and they know exactly where they're headed. James Cameron. And then you have directors who it's more of a push and pull thing. And I think George Lucas lands in that particular field where he I think he needs I think he needs to be grounded because like you were saying earlier, when the actors like work with me, I can't say this line. Right. He compromised and he made something more accessible that the actors were able to work with. But in the prequels, he didn't have that pushback. Instead, the actors was like, how do I say these lines to the best of my ability? Because it's George fucking Lucas asking me to say it. Yeah. And that's how you get lines like sand. There's a lot of stuff that's weird. I, but I still do like those movies. There's still part of it that I do like because, you know, it's oh, Star yeah. Wars. There's I can I I'm like, uh, what's his Alec Guinness reading Star Wars, like the old draft, the adventures of the Star Killer. I'm like, I can see stuff in here that I like. Some of it dialogue is like, yikes, but I do like this. Uh, and I think the issue with the sequels is that you, you're not you don't exactly have uh, a group of people trying to make the best film that they can. You have a group of people under a studio. You know, what I mean, it, like Star Wars is the anti-studio movie, but with the licensing deals, with all the merchandise, like it was meant to make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But now you have. Walt Disney, the Walt Disney Company overseeing everything. So you're making something that's a part of their corporate vision of what Star Wars is, which I think is where the problem is. I don't I can't blame them partly because they spent billions, right? Like if you I mean, if you look at it like we're investing in this and we're investing in the future of Star Wars, what we want to give the people what they want. Yeah. But the people will go and watch it anyway. Oh, yeah. Like Phantom Menace, how much money did that movie make? Like it, they're going to watch it anyway. So like why why put limits on the creator's visions? Why react when the fans are upset? The, the fans being upset doesn't prevent them from buying tickets. Mm. You know what I mean? Well, and, and personally, that's why I was disappointed with The Force Awakens, because I was like, you could do anything. And this is going to be one of the highest grossing films of all time. You know, you could do anything with Force Awakens, you know, in 2015 that like the last Star Wars film was 2006. It's like or 2005, 2006, whatever. It's like just you could do whatever you want and you're golden. But they decided to remake A New Hope, which is like which is the disappointment. Yeah, at first it was disappointing for me, too, because it's like this is literally the same plot. Yeah. But when I saw it again, I was like, okay, it's the same plot, but. These these characters are completely different. I think that as a character, Kylo Ren way more interesting than Darth Vader. I think on paper they're really interesting. In execution, they were all squandered. Uh, uh, um, uh, Finn. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Finn, really interesting character. You know, he's like a stormtrooper who like snaps out of like his his trance almost <laughs> his and training. Yeah, out of his training, out of his brainwashing. And yeah. They never did anything with it. Ray was Ray was interesting. Uh, because there's mm. this whole mystery around her and it's kind of like trying to figure out what her background is. And and Poe Dameron is I love Poe Dameron because it's Oscar Isaac, and I love Oscar Isaac, but 
not really much of a character in The Force Awakens, but it's like he's just a good pilot. And the scenes where he's flying around is like, damn, that's oh, one and, hell of a pilot. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he he sells that really well. So even though he's not the best character, it's like Oscar's committing to what he's doing. So I love it. Mm-hmm. But that's what I'm saying. You know, it doesn't it just doesn't stick the landing on paper. And Kylo is the most interesting part of Force Awakens, in my opinion. I think he is because he's definitely going through like issues. Yeah, he's a he's a conflicted villain. And we're oh, yeah. we're right in the middle of that conflict of like who he's going to be. But and I, I like how all of them are like they know about Star Wars. They're like, oh, shit, that's Han Solo. The the general, the the guy who made the Kessel run in 14 parsecs. 12. You know, it's like they, they know about these guys. So in a way, I can see myself in that universe. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. No, no, no. That's not a bad thing. I just think I personally think it could have been done a lot better because I've been I've seen it done better. It, it reminds me of was Avatar, The Last Airbender and the sequel series, The Legend of Korra, because, you know, you have the adventures of Aang, Katara and, and Sokka and Zuko and Toph mm-hmm. in the original three seasons. And then Legend of Korra takes place after Aang dies and uh, Korra becomes a new avatar, like, you know, gets reincarnated into Korra, the avatar. And it's like, oh, yeah, let me and we meet all the old characters, Zuko, Toph, Katara. We don't meet Sokka, I believe. I think Sokka passes away, if I remember correctly. But like they all know about the stories of the Fire Lord and they mm. know about everything. And then like but now it's like Korra's time to like in the new world and things have changed. And it's like the battles are different. The the ideologies are different. And it's like that is really cool. Like you are really expanding what this world is and what we're talking about. And I just felt with Star Wars, it's like, <sighs> the potentials are there. Like, the the building blocks are there. You know, you've got oh, yeah. the setups, you've got the characters, you've, like, Ray, Finn, like, oh, boom, it's okay. It's in Kylo Ren having super big daddy issues. It's like, I love it. But, I don't know, me, me personally, it's it's complicated you know um well i definitely think there is potential that was never reached but i think it had a good start i really liked the last jedi i think you did too i did yes yes then i think that's that's where the the problem comes in because i i don't know what disney had influence over the last jedi because it seems like they didn't do a lot right it seems like that was ryan johnson's thing like yes. He got to write, he, he wrote and directed it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he wrote and directed it, and they let J.J. Abrams and Lawrence Kasdan, J.J. directed, Kasdan wrote The Force Awakens, so it seems like they were like hands off, they are like, hey, yeah. do what you want to do. It's that third one. Yeah, the third one, but I, there is issues with, with The Force Awakens, too, because it, like, I don't mind the nostalgia, like, afterwards but in the beginning it did bug me and i think jj abrams is someone who likes to to go into nostalgic places that kind of helps usher in a new generation of fans it kind of gives us like things to like like oh that's a that's a reference to the first movie that's a reference to the second movie it's, you know it's like okay it's nice could it be better yeah mm-hmm. and then you get the second one which i think is better it's it's very different it's telling all right that was the star wars of the old this is where everybody is at now. 
You think Luke is just going to be this like hopeful, doe-eyed kid who thinks he can save the universe? No, he's not that guy anymore. He used to be. And through meeting Ray, he he becomes that guy again. I, I just think it's a, a better movie, but mm. you have fans get so unhappy with it that the mm. studio starts to panic. When the, the it's time for the third one to come out, it's like, all right, JJ, come back and do that thing you did with The Force Awakens, except crank up to 11. And then yeah. you get The Rise of Skywalker. And in JJ's defense, he, him and writer Chris Terrio just didn't have enough time. Because they were like, this movie's coming out on this date. We're yeah. not pushing it. So you better figure this out by the time that, we, that you have. And J.J. wasn't planned to come back. I think they were trying. I, they had Colin Trevorrow, but then that fell through. Then they asked Ryan if he wanted to come back. But I guess with the hate of Last Jedi, he said no. And they were like, well, hey, J.J., how do you feel? And he's like, well, right, well, fuck it, I'll do it. But that meant that he already lost precious months where he could have been rewriting the script and really figuring out what was happening. Plus, it seems like Ryan and JJ just weren't on the same page. So yeah. they had to like, you know, it was almost like JJ like had to redo what Ryan did or set up. So and that's what I mean, like the whole that whole sequel trilogy was just um potential that wasn't met. Yeah, I think the the Rise of Skywalker is kind of like the the sour ending of the thing where it's like, man, what what other stories could you have told with with the uh, ex stormtrooper like a reformed stormtrooper like could other Ooh. stormtroopers be reformed? You know, well he he had the lightsaber like maybe he's actually a, he has the Jedi powers. Mm. Oh, the Jedi powers are still like alive in other people across the universe. Like it's mm. still it's in this like kid with the broom. Mm. Like you could it could expand the world, but instead of doing that, they kind of like what about the fans? What about the the people that are that are keeping this franchise afloat? Let we're gonna make we gotta make this movie for them. When I don't think I don't think that's what Star Wars was in the beginning. It was these people trying to make the best movie that they could. Mm-hmm. But once once they went into a studio system, now it's it's kind of in a different place. It's less about taking risks. So it's you know that's the story of Star Wars. Starts oh, off with yeah. good intentions, and yet at the by the very end, it succumbs to fan expectations and what we grew up with Star Wars. And it's you know, I mean, it's it, Star Wars is complicated. It's complicated, and it can be really fun and frustrating to talk about. But I've yeah. I've had fun on these two episodes. I like I like getting into it and uh, talking about it with someone who is more or less open minded about things. well it's just it's great going back because it's because it's nice to see that we got this great movie this this great franchise from very humble beginnings and kind of like there are a lot of things that could have gone wrong a lot of things that could have gone wrong that would have changed the entire course of star wars and the film industry probably so hey like the way things turned out were very interesting and it's good to reflect on that. I think it's funny how George Lucas bet on himself completely and was like, I'm going to make this movie and I want all the rights to it. And then yeah. you have James Cameron, who is like, I just want to make this movie. I will give you the rights for a dollar. Yes. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> hilarious. But it's true. But it's true. It, hey, man, you, you know, George had the opportunity and he took it. James Cameron I, didn't as much. I think James Cameron might have not had it because George did it first. Yeah. You know, because if, if 
George Lucas wouldn't have retained the rights to his own movie franchise. You know, it's like, why would we let this guy do it? Why would we let James Cameron do it about his like robot killer from the future? Like, mm-hmm. what if it made money? We well, would want it, you know? <laughs> and Star Wars, know. Was, Star Wars was very influential, not just the way that movies were filmed and distributed, but also marketed and the rights. Mm-hmm. And man, you know, it was one of the biggest blockbusters of all time. And now we're in the age of blockbusters. And 45 years later, and Star Wars is still one of the biggest fucking things out there. Is it as good as that was? Mm, up for debate, but the film industry has never been the same since. No, it hasn't. And with all of with with something like The Mandalorian, which does tell a story about these characters in the same universe, but different characters, characters that we don't have some irrational attachment to and how they are portrayed. I think you can tell a really cool story and there's technology being developed specifically for that show, which I think makes the show really cool. Right. Like it's, it's one thing that we both agree on is that the Mandalorian is really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I've, I am excited to see the new Star Wars stuff. I'm, I'm hopeful that they will. Yeah, it's, it's hard to hope from a, a, a big Hollywood studio. It's hard to kind of be hopeful from it when the bottom they care about the bottom line more than they care about making a good movie, because sometimes good movies don't make money. I feel like we're going to see some cool stuff in the universe in the future because it can't all be bad, you know? <laughs> It can't all be bad. I will say this. Um, the the backlash to the new films and some of the TV shows and the properties have been very vocal. I mean, that's to give the fans that they are vocal and they will let you know. And no, nobody wants to make something bad. Right. Like nobody wants to like sometimes we point out we, we say that these corporate people don't give a shit. And probably for some films, they don't like they do not care. Like how well it turns out. They want to make money. But when you're Star Wars and Harry Potter and the Marvel films, I I, there, I I believe that there are people who do care. Because you want to protect the brand. Like it's the IP protection. Like you have to protect the IP. Because it's Harry Potter. It's one of the biggest things in the world. And if you put something bad out, it will hurt sales. And people will talk about it negatively. And that's what's been happening with Star Wars. There's been a lot of negative talk about it. Right? And it's been like that for years. Decades. And the hope is that you have these executives that are listening and paying attention and or you have people listening to it like John Favreau and Dave Filoni. They've been listening and we got the Mandalorian, which is beautiful. So that's the hope. Yeah, Will we there's get some that? more Alan Ladd juniors out there who are like, I don't get it, but I like you. I like the thing you did before. Do something else. <sighs> I mean, well, we'll see. I am. I am hopeful, but I'm. <laughs> I'm exhausted, man. Just, you know, it's Star Wars brings a lot of emotions out of me. So thankfully, well, I've never threatened anyone. Yeah. And just just relax. Try to have a good time. Like I, uh, I ended up watching. <laughs> I ended up watching The Force Awakens again when doing some of the research and seeing like, oh, they they kind of took this from this part of the original story synopsis and everything. I don't know, it was just like, I see what you're doing here. I see why this movie is a nostalgia piece but i do see the new characters and knowing how the the last jedi goes i'm like man they were going to get better and better if someone just if they just did what they did with the first movie and it was like all right this is a good idea how do we make it better 
you know, yep. instead of how do you make everybody happy? They were like, how do we make this better? I like that. Yep. Um, so this is the part of the, of the episode where we talk about our feelings about the movie through a quote from the film. Usually George goes first and usually George breaks the rules. I actually only have one quote for this movie. Awesome. Which is, yeah. Uh, and it's by C-3PO. And he says, we seem to be made to suffer. It's our lot in life. <laughs> and that's kind of what, that's how I would describe Star Wars fans. We seem, to be, we seem to be made to suffer. It's our lot in life. Like, we just got done talking about hopefully the franchise this and hopefully the franchise that. We don't really know, though. And is this the last time that I'm going to be disappointed in Star Wars? No. It's going to keep happening. There's going to be more Star Wars. And with that, there's going to come more disappointment. Not just oh from the God. films. Not, not, not just from the films, but from the fans as well. But... Yeah, either like the movies are not as good or the, the movies are good and the fans are so hateful of them that the movies get worse again. <laughs> and that's where my quote comes in. We seem I to see. be made to suffer. <laughs> it's our lot in life. There's no escape from it. I'm either going to love the films and hate the fans or I'm going to love the fans and hate the films. I, it's, who knows? So that yeah. is my quote. That's that's how I feel about Star Wars. <laughs> All right. Well, I hate to say it again, but George, I was wrong. And I am the one that has two quotes this time. <gasps> Ooh. My first quote is um, going into this episode. I, I kind of want to, to, to do this episode later because I know Star Wars is such a huge fucking world. And anytime we say something about Star Wars, people get mad. Like we, we've made two videos <laughs> to put on our Instagram and we've made two people upset. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't care, man. I love Star Wars. At the end of the day, you can't tell me that I don't love Star Wars because mm -hmm. I do. And the ambition and all the things that they did to make this movie is just inspiring. It makes me want to like go out with my friends and do this thing, use all of our talents and make this one thing that we all like. Because the only person that didn't have fun making Star Wars seems to have been George Lucas because yeah. he's under a lot of pressure. <laughs> that's, the, but, that's exactly. Yeah, that, that's that's true. But everybody else, they had fun, you know, they maybe not in the costumes and they're saying the lines, but they were laughing. They made friends like Han Harrison Ford, George uh, Harrison Ford, Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher. They were all friends, you know, apparently R2-D2 and C-3PO did not get along, but that's a story for a different time. Yeah. So my first quote is from Obi-Wan Kenobi. And he tells Luke after he's used... He's like blocking the, the targeting computer, the targeting drone thing. And he says, Luke, you're taking your first steps into a much larger world. Which is what Star Wars was. It was our first steps into a much larger world. As moviegoers, as fans of movies, and as children watching this movie and having our imaginations blown. And all the people who ever stepped foot in the Star Wars universe, you know. First, first steps into a much larger world. That's actually really true and very applicable. It also, I've said before that the Star Wars fans are the worst part of Star Wars. They're also kind of fun. They're also kind of cool. Like the Wikipedia, that was a lot of dedication and hard work put mm -hmm. together to make that whole database. 
there's this conspiracy theory among some Star Wars, fringe Star Wars fans that there's actually two Lukes and that this was like the first clue that there's actually a larger Luke running around the same time as Luke Prime. It's real. It's, it's a real conspiracy thing that some fans have wrote pages about. It's really funny. But anyway, the second quote I have. Oh, shoot. I, I think I forgot what it was. Whatever. I forgot what the second quote was, but I think the, the first one's fine. That was my main quote. I had a quote, and then I was like, you know what? I like this one better, and I just forgot the old one. But maybe when we redo these episodes, I'll remember it and try to convince everybody that it was there all along. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? It might work. It might work. It was good talking about this film, and we're definitely going to talk about the rest because... They're really interesting. And it, it is a saga. The making of these movies is a saga in their own right. Yeah. And the, the making of the second one, drastically different from the making yeah. of this one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's um, the, the it wasn't even the same fucking sport at that point. Yeah. It was it was a whole different ball game led by a whole different team with a different prerogative. Like it was insane. So we will definitely cover that. But I am excited to get away from the nerd stuff a little bit. I know I. I I love the nerd stuff as much as the next person, but it can be exhausting after a while. Like talking about Spider-Man and Star Wars. I love it and I could do it all day, but I I, I do like changing it up a little bit, yeah. you know, I think- and I'm really excited for the next film that we're going to be talking because I've never seen it and it's a pretty big fucking deal. It's a pretty big deal, a very big deal to uh, some people. Some people really love this movie a lot. And I happen to be one of them. It's really uh, interesting because I've I've never seen it. And I know it's a musical, which I'm not crazy about. But I, the yes. musicals I have seen, I've been really liking. I've been digging. And this and, movie seems like it's kind of fun. Like, it looks really silly. This, and I'm like, that's up my alley. This movie is really silly. It's really fun. But I think uh, over the course of doing these podcasts... I think you're someone who cares more about plot than I do. Yeah. And that's going to, I'm worried that you might not like this movie, but please go into it with an open mind. We'll <laughs> see. We'll see. I mean, it's, it's weird because there are movies that don't have that big of a plot that I really like, that I really enjoy. They're like vibe movies, right? I, I do enjoy some yeah. of those. But this I is do definitely like, a vibe. <laughs> I do enjoy it. Does it does seem that I do enjoy kind of like plots where it's like, oh, this leads into that, and that's organized like this, and it's I really appreciate that. But I mean, we'll see. Because in the end of the day, um, if I'm entertained, that's what counts, and uh, I'm entertained by different by different ways. So, well, I hope you do like this movie. The movie we're going to be talking about is none other than. The Rocky Horror Picture Show. And I didn't know, but it's like a big movie with like the gay community. I, I didn't, yeah. again, I don't know this movie that well. <laughs> so I, I just know that Tim Curry's in it. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. And that they have midnight screening of this movie like to this day still. Yes, the movie came out in 75 before Star Wars. And uh, it is still being shown in theaters today. Which is wild. I, it, oh, it is. So that's why I'm, I'm really excited to watch it. And again, it's one of those films where you're like, I'll watch it someday. Well, that day has finally come. So please, if you've liked this episode, don't forget to give us those like, those five stars. 
and come back next week and listen to our newest episode. Or if you're like retroactively listening to this, go listen to that episode because I'm sure it's going to be a banger. And I'm really curious to see what I'm going to think about it. Yeah, me too. And I'm, I love watching this. Oh, I could, I could talk about this movie just as long as I can about Star Wars, maybe. And there's probably just as much out there to read. But hopefully it won't be a two-part thing of two hours of, like, nerding out. <laughs> well, who knows, man? I hope, well, I hope this was fun to listen to. If you did enjoy this episode, let us know. Hang, come hang out in our Discord. Do that Discord. Just DM us on Instagram or Twitter. We are at retrograde underscore pod at retrograde underscore pod uh we have a youtube channel where we post our shorts um and that's about it thank you for listening to us it really means a lot to us especially when you come out and on onto our posts and stuff and say that you're a fan of us i, I love seeing that because i love knowing that other people like thinking about movies the same way we do and listening to us talk about it, because sometimes I'm worried nobody cares what we think. But it's the the self doubt in creating stuff. It's the same self doubt that George Lucas had, but he persevered and he got through it. It is like there's there's that that, that kindred spirit of, of of creation. You know, being someone that creates something that like I see, I recognize in George Lucas that I inspires me and all that. You know, uh, so thanks for listening. We will see you again for the Rocky Horror Picture Show. In two weeks, or maybe one week, we'll surprise you. <laughs> See ya.